The Public News Service Daily Newscast, May the 31st, 2022. I'm Mike Clifford. We head first to Nevada, where the future of transportation in Clark County, electrifying the sector, is topic A at a panel discussion of experts and policymakers tonight in Las Vegas. The state is gearing up as big money from the bipartisan infrastructure bill is making its way to Nevada. Andrew Sierra with the Nevada Conservation League says the focus will be transportation, which generates more than a third of emissions in Clark County and statewide. We've been able to secure millions of dollars for the next few years, specifically going not just towards our electric grid, but more specifically going to the expansion of a nationwide electric vehicle chargers network. I'm Suzanne Potter. That discussion will take place at Motional, a company that plans to run a fleet of driverless electric vehicles, robo-taxis, to ferry people from the airport to the Vegas Strip. The COVID-19 public health emergency that mandates continuous coverage for Medicaid enrollees is expected to expire later this year. Experts say states such as Kentucky could ramp up communication, including text messages and emails, to beneficiaries to ensure that residents don't slip through the cracks when the policy ends. Since the start of the pandemic, many Kentuckians have moved and changed their address and possibly their phone number. Farah Erzugi with the Center on Budget Policy and Priorities says this means state agencies likely don't have updated information for a significant number of their Medicaid population. And this will present a significant challenge if it goes unaddressed because many people won't get notices in the mail when it's time for them to renew and won't know what they need to do to keep their Medicaid coverage. She says people often lose coverage for procedural reasons during the renewal process, such as not submitting required forms, even if they're still eligible. Erzuki also points out that long call center wait times can make navigating the process even more challenging for households. Nadia Ramlagan reporting. Advocates have called on the Congress to extend the enhanced subsidies that have made marketplace coverage more affordable for millions of Americans. The Hill reports Republican and Democratic senators negotiating over a legislative proposal to respond to mass shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas, will hold a Zoom call Tuesday in hopes of reaching a deal on a basic framework by next week. Senate Majority Leader John Cornyn of Texas has been tasked by Minority Leader Mitch McConnell to negotiate with Democrats. The Hill notes that President Biden Monday expressed some optimism that Cornyn may strike a deal, praising him as a rational policymaker. This is PNS. Higher consumer costs and expired pandemic protections are putting more folks in Minnesota on the brink of losing their homes. According to this month's census household poll survey data, 24% of Minnesota adults face the likelihood of eviction or foreclosure. That's up from 18% earlier this spring. In Grant County, Janelle Bennett is with the West Central Minnesota Community Action Office. She says they're seeing more pre-foreclosure notices sent to individuals the office follows up with. The ones I've received so far have been definitely related to COVID, either losing their job or cutting back on hours and just losing that income. Her area isn't alone. The Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis recently reported that nearly 10 rural Minnesota counties had foreclosure rates of at least 1%. The Minnesota Home Ownership Center says through their website... 
Those behind can look over a network of nonprofits and community organizations that have advisors who provide free counseling. I'm Mike Moen. And there's one trillion dollars in the philanthropy sector, but only a small amount of that money goes toward closing racial disparities across the nation. More now from Eric Tegedoff. Author of the book Decolonizing Wealth, Edgar Villanueva, says the sector should rethink how it gives. He says less than a tenth of philanthropic giving goes to nonprofit organizations led by black, indigenous, or people of color, working specifically on issues of racial or social equity. We are still kind of thinking of philanthropy and giving in an old-fashioned way that is really about charity and putting a band-aid on issues versus funding organizations who are on the front lines of pushing for more transformative change in our communities and especially around issues of racial justice. Finally, Lily Bolke tells us conservationists in the northern Appalachian Acadian region are changing how they think about forest protection and management. Five regional partners, including Wildlands Network and Two Countries, One Forest, held a conference outlining a shared vision, Future Forest Reimagined, and now they're working to apply it. Megan DeGraff with Forest International says it's important to work across state and national boundaries. This forest region covers the territory of the Wabanaki Confederacy, stretching across northern New England and into the maritime provinces of Canada. The forest type here is unique and also fairly imperiled. There are the twin crises of biodiversity loss and climate change that go hand in hand. And one of the biggest but less seen crises is that of overlooking indigenous contributions and indigenous knowledge. Sponsors of Future Forest Reimagined include the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society and the University of Vermont's Gun Institute for the Environment and Leadership. This is by Clifford for Public News Service, member and listener supported, heard on great radio stations, your favorite podcast platform, and find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.